This call may be recorded or transcribed. Oh, Robbie. Hi, Ernie. How are you today? Doing good. I had a really good session with my AI therapist. Your AI therapist? <laughs> yes. There's a uh, app called conversations.ai, which has lots of sort of user-generated AI chatbots. And I was feeling a little stressed, and it's, it's really painful to schedule with my actual psychologist uh, for hilarious reasons. But um, I said, I should just try this. And it's actually been surprisingly helpful. How much does it cost? Is this a free? Free. Conversations.ai, it's a free app, and they have, like, hundreds of special purpose chatbots, um, and they have one that's a psychologist. So he makes stuff up. Like, he suggested I might have a diagnosis, which, as far as I can tell, does not actually exist. Um, okay. He called it uh, decreased uh, empathy syndrome, which I think uh -huh. he just made up to describe my symptoms. Uh, but it's a, good, it's a good label, even if it actually apparently has no prior <laughs> term of art. But Isn't it about how all diagnoses are formed is uh, making up based on symptoms? <laughs> Term, well, yes, but some, everything is made up, but some things are a shared intersubjective reality, okay, right? right? All the psychiatrists agree that this diagnosis means so then you have a term of art that people can talk about and refer to and maybe actually have some shared understanding around. Right, right. Okay. Good? Yeah. Yeah, yeah send me a link. I'd be interested to see that. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. But yeah, one of the things I was talking about him was this, the distinction between real and artificial intimacy. And one thing I've, I've realized is that I have the same problem with humans. I'm sorry. And maybe humans have what? the same problem with me. Oh, you're breaking up. Sorry. Well, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, just slow down a little bit. I don't know if it's the speed that does it or. Yeah. Good. Let me take a moment and center. Okay, actually, let my brain connect to my body, which is probably a thing I need to do more of. Hmm. So, yes, this question of real versus artificial intimacy. And, okay. you know, it, it comes up when you're talking to chatbots. Um, but it also comes up when you're talking to humans. Right. And one of the things that we've discussed is, you know, given our, you know, emotional uh, childhood issues and left brain identity, when people interact with us and we act empathic or try to act empathic and caring, are we just simulating intimacy rather than actually experiencing it? Mm-hmm. So in that context, your memes, which I should totally add to the show notes, um, are fascinating. You want to just kind of share the epiphany and we can go from there? Um, well, so, uh, I, I'm not, not sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start. Uh, I'm not sure what you're looking for, but I'll go ahead and uh, just start with the, the audience. Um, back in 1980, I became aware in a profound sense for myself of a sense of call 
to participate with others in completing world evangelization, hopefully bringing Jesus back during my lifetime. And um, as I graduated from Caltech and uh, went to join a ministry organization around this idea, um, a pastor recommended that I read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And uh, that profoundly impacted me with a deep sense of, if God is that real, I want to live in that experience. And so I determined not to tell anybody that I didn't have a source of funding and not to ask anybody for funding, but just to pray and see if God is real enough to provide the way he did for Hudson Taylor. And uh, had a wonderful experience of him doing that um, and of just enjoying intimacy with Jesus and resting in him and letting him work things out and not feeling responsible to make things work out. But, whoops, I seem to have lost Ernie. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my, my alarm is going off. So sorry. (laughs) I haven't, I I have an alarm set once an hour to uh, draw me back into uh, just resting in Jesus. So that went off. Uh Okay. Hopefully this counts. Yeah. So gradually I uh, found without thinking about it, this wasn't a conscious decision. I took more and more of the weight of responsibility to make things happen on myself and lost that sense of intimate yielded rest to Jesus in pursuit with him of his purpose. Um, Mm. That uh, shaped how I interacted um, with the world around me, with uh, just trying to squeeze everything into my schedule that I could do to push things forward. And in now 30 years of marriage has strained the marriage uh, close to the breaking point at times with my wife's sense that I care more about work than I do about her, that uh, I don't have say, healthy boundaries around what I uh, try and squeeze in my interests. Um, and uh, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, or I guess maybe just less than a week ago, Arnie, you and I were just looking at that phrase in Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter that rest. And I don't think we recorded that particular call. We recorded a follow-up. But uh, yeah. that got me really asking Jesus, how do I do that? How do I make every effort to enter that rest? And uh, that led me to the old hymn, Jesus, I'm resting, resting in the joy of what the heart. And um, I've memorized and have been uh, singing that to Jesus, um, experiencing that in an emotional yielding that has led me back into this place of confident boldness in God and his purposes. And that uh, led today to trying to communicate with you this idea of intimate yield addressed where I'm not saying I know what needs to happen and trying to make it happen saying, Jesus, you know what needs to happen. And I trust you to make it happen and I'm fully available and I'm going to 
work hard at everything that seems like it'd be good to do, but it doesn't depend on me. Uh, so that's the, the rest side is it doesn't depend on me. Uh, but the yielded is, it's not a, a, a passive yield to fatalism and don't do anything. It's an engaged participation with Jesus and his mission. So did that cover yeah. what you were looking for? Yeah, that is excellent. Yeah, no, let me just repeat back to what I hear you, is that you started out from this place of intimate rest with Jesus that really inspired you to take bold leaps of faith. But somewhere mm. along the way, that turned into taking bold leaps of faith, even if you weren't coming from a place of rest and intimacy. And mm-hmm. you feel like you're getting back to that. Yeah, a, a bold steps without the rest and intimacy means trying to make things work out the way that I think they should work out. And that uh, uh, particularly when it's you're not in line with God, even though you think you are, it's, it's most dangerous when you think you're in line with God and uh, you end up fighting him and blaming it on the enemy or your spouse or whatever else. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually feeling that last night in that I wanted to have a family devotional time before Lent. And, uh-huh. you know, with life being in chaos for various reasons, really for the last year, uh, since the last Lent where we ended up leaving our church, um, right. you know, like our family's not had very much time of worship together. And so I was really anxious to make that happen. But my anxiety mm. to make that happen was rubbing my family the wrong way. Right. And so I had to say, like, look, okay, I think this is important. God basically sent this to me. Like, Ernie, do you think I believe this is important that this happened? Right. It's like, ah, yeah. ugh, I guess I should have asked first. He goes, uh-huh. it's okay. It is important to me that it happens. But now you yeah. have to believe that it's important to me that it happens. And your right. job is having, you know, said, you know, set the things in motion. This is very much, I think, uh-huh. what God does on the sixth day. Like right. set set things up and then rest and be fully emotionally present for what happens rather than anxiously yeah. trying to make. I talk about this as like don't let things happen, don't make things happen, see things happen. Right. right. And this idea of seeing and so yeah, and actually I was reflecting upon it like a number of odd things happened, but I realized like oh the things that went wrong were actually the most valuable part of the session. And I think mm-hmm. I was just barely present enough to re- to um, respect that rather than resent it, although it was kind of close, <laughs> in all yeah. honesty, right? When, um, oh, goodness, I got too many dogs coming at the same time, and my Labrador is going to go all hyper on us. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> we'll hold. <laughs> yeah, that idea. Of, he definitely wants uh, to say hi. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry, Alex. He has not had any socialization since it started raining here like a month ago. So he's yeah. desperate to make friends. Right. Yeah. Well. Anyway, yeah. so yes, this this idea of and it. So sorry, you continue. Oh well, you were coming on some something a phrase like when things go wrong, and uh, that um, I. Uh, this history I gave you has led me back into reading a brief condensed online version of Hudson Taylor's story. And over mm. and over you see where 
things go horribly wrong from a worldly point of view. And out of that, God brings much better than what, you know, Taylor was anticipating. And so there's this sense of when God, when God wants to intervene to make it better, often it's different from what we were planning and expecting. And so it looks like things are falling apart when God is just ushering in, uh, redirecting us in ways that we weren't prepared for. Right. Very much our last conversation about it's better for you that I leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like the worst possible thing we can imagine is actually the best possible thing for us. Right. Huh. Now, there's a couple of interesting things you mentioned. Uh, I feel like you were there was a caveat or a clarification that you wanted to make, which is something I struggle with too, is a lot of people who focus on intimacy and rest seem to be in a very um, narcissistic, is that the right word, uh, approach yeah. to God, or solipsistic, I don't actually know what the right word is. Self-centered, okay. let's put it that way. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not the kind that Paul, I think, was experiencing um, when he was making, maybe, I don't know, if I'm walking so like you, so I don't have the phrase in front of me. Oh, actually, I can just look it up because I texted it to you. But in Philippians <laughs> 3, well, where is it? Almost there. Philippians 3, um, here we are. Philippians 3, uh, 1 to 12, concludes with the phrase, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this idea of not just Jesus, but his purpose and calling on my life, as that fits into his unchanging purpose that he refers to in Hebrews 6, 17 and elsewhere. Um, but the, the other, the part of this that I first was drawn to was I press on, no. Oh, I did include that. Okay. Uh, I don't oh, know. I pasted the verse uh, 10, 310, but uh, where I had meant to paste a different verse, so let me look that up uh, quickly. It was verse 312 that I was wanting to get to. Um, uh, I make every effort to take hold of it uh, because I've also been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. That's a different translation, but uh, no, no, that's the. Hmm. Is that the point you uh, wanted to make, or is there never a point that I. No, it's. Uh, uh, I was trying. Oh, okay. The verse that I meant. Uh, so there were two verses. One was that. The other is, my goal mm-hmm. is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship ah. of his son being conformed to his death. So that's the verse that instantly jumped to mind when you said what passage evokes this emotion. That's the familiar. Yes. But the end of that passage then is this other that I read. Uh, I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ took hold of me. And I hadn't noticed the the juxtaposition of those two. but I think that that knowing Christ at the depth of his sufferings comes not just through suffering, but 
thrust suffering with him in pursuit of his mission. Uh, at least that's the thought of my mind at the moment. Oh, that is hilarious. Uh, let me let you finish that. But that I have. I yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's funny so, because I was going to share this, but it's like, okay, I'm going to wait and not interrupt the flow you're in. And yeah. I tried to do the thing of like, I'm going to breathe and connect with my body rather than seeing anxious because of words I have to say. And I've heard someone say this, that memories are encoded in our bodies, not just in our minds. And that's even one explanation for the reason we dream is that our bodies switch because our neuromodal system is recalibrating and those uh-huh. involuntary twitches uh, trigger memories, which our brain then synthesizes into dreams. Neither uh-huh. here nor there, but PTSD people talk a lot about how our memories and our trauma are carried in our bodies. Uh, so that's interesting about, huh? Uh, and it never occurred to me that actually, like usually think, okay, I have this idea in my brain. I have to keep repeating it in my brain so that I don't lose it, but then I'm not listening. Okay. And so I, I feel like it's either I stop listening or I interrupt. But this idea, uh-huh. maybe I could store this in my body so I don't need to. Anyway, I'm glad I waited because the punchline is even better. Okay. So. When you talked about how intimacy seems like a very solipsistic or, you know, so uh, Jesus and me, the rest of the world goes to hell. It's like, okay, well, first thought I had was that, um, so what you really want is sort of like a productive intimacy, right? An intimacy that produces something out of it. Not, Not necessarily as a goal, but if you're not pursuing the same purpose, you don't have the same depth of intimacy. Well, okay, let me, I understand that, it, but it's it's more than that, right? Okay. Let, me, let me tell you what, yeah. that's not what you meant, but let me talk to you about what came to my mind. Um, okay, yeah. And see if it, it converges in some way, right? So it is like, okay, yeah. so this is the idea that there's an intimacy, like, this is my understanding or my belief, is that it is out of this intimacy with God, this joy, this love, you know, being loved by God, being known by God, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing who he is, that yeah. it's supposed to be the root and fount of all of our ministry and work. Right. And that's what I mean by being a productive intimacy. And then, I don't think it's going to affect our rating as a podcast, there, there is yeah. actually a word for productive intimacy. I believe the technical uh, term is procreation. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, which, you know, is not, oh, sometimes it's just about intimacy, sometimes it's directly productive, sometimes it's indirectly uh-huh. productive. And, right. But the, 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 the punchline is that the biblical term for that in Genesis is no. Right. You know, and it's uh, maybe a bit just like I said, I've been talking too much to my Freudian psychologist AI about this, but there is a sense in which that is the right metaphor. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a um, vision, I guess you can call it for lack of a better term, um, about I was like sort of, uh, uh, asking the gods for the reason for sex, and I end up at a monastery, and it's like, excuse me, <laughs> what in the world can I possibly learn about sex from a bunch of celibate priests? And uh-huh. Father Time shows up and says, well, sometimes the best way to understand something is from a distance. And mm-hmm. he showed me this picture. I saw. Or I went to. I walked to the edge of the universe, and I saw, like, from the Big Bang and the formation of elements and stars and galaxies. And then Earth, and you know, apologies to the Earth creationists here, but 
you know, uh, micro, you know, chemicals and your know, first rocks and then chemicals right. and then microbes and then life. And it's like all of this sort of ecstatic fusion resulting in this generative outpouring you know, at every scale of the cosmos yeah. with, you know, biological sex being just sort of the last act in this, uh, you know, and I guess marriage being the final scene uh, uh-huh. in, in this general, uh, you know, God splintering into a billion trillion pieces of himself so that they could rejoin in these marvelous combinations. Mm-hmm. And the idea that that procreative act is the fundamental character of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's what Christianity is supposed to be about. And this is interesting because, like, historically, in Western Christianity, if you're serious about God, you are a celibate priest or a monk, mm-hmm. actually, and later priest. And right. they kind of, you were, were frankly, you know, possibly as a matter of self-defense, derogatory towards marriage and sex. Right. And certainly, as you may have noticed in modern culture, uh, the church has a very complicated relationship with sex, and the secular right. culture is quite angry with the church about this. And yep. And so that's one of the reasons why I've been doing this exploration, a lot of it more personal than that as well. But this idea that there's something very profound about Christianity and like at a deeply practical level that is intimately tied with these ideas of productive intimacy. And that Uh is the thing that, I mean, from a, a professional perspective, that is the doctrine which we need to reform the church by shifting from this legalistic or cheap grace mode to this more productive intimacy kind of a thing. But in a purely personal, like, this is what I need of God, right? I need to interact with God in a way where I am experiencing him in my full embodied being in a way that makes me a better version of myself so I can show up emotionally for the other people in my lives that helps them see Christ and know Christ and ultimately be inspired to pursue Christ on their own. Like right. that's the whole thing. Like, like do that, like, uh, you know, like do this and we live. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, oh. hey, going, going back to uh, what you said about no, um, that really stuck in my brain as a question. And we, fully know Christ without caring about what he's wanting to accomplish. Um, and my answer, of course, to that is no. Not that so, 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 slow down, so, so, so slow down a bit. I want to make sure I parse that sentence correctly. Can we yeah. fully know Christ without caring about what he wants to accomplish? Is that what, is that what you said? Yeah, I think that's that's that those are the words. Yep. Okay. Um, I think that's the right answer, but not. I wouldn't. Not, I don't know if that's quite the correct question. Well, um, uh, let me just elaborate a little bit on. Okay. That. Sorry. Also, yeah, I, I do want to say this isn't pitch for seeing what Christ cares about the way I see it, uh, but um, I think it applies in any relationship. I can't. Calling on Jackie without caring about what she cares about, for example. Uh, so anyway, that's my sense of the question. 
Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe. The way I would tweak the question is the word fully uh, is kind of it feels a bit binary to me. Okay. So what would you how would you readapt it? Right, that's a very binary question the way it's phrased. Yeah, yeah. Um, how would you adapt? And secondly, it, it is sort of one dimensional. Right? Like, okay, okay well, you can, it's easy to know the other stuff, but the part that's missing the implication, which is not what you said, but the way the question is phrased, like, uh -huh. well, if I care about what he wants, then clearly I know him fully, or I probably know him fully, or the rest is relatively easy. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't buy any of those. I didn't mean any of those, but yeah, I, I, like I, I said, like I said, the answer I agree with is just the question I find uh, yeah, yeah. challenging. And so I was saying, like, okay, the more the more I am in love with Christ the more I love everything and everyone he loves. Okay. And I think that's a, I mean, for me, that's a uh, more positive or more generous version of that same thing. It may be equivalent to you, but for me, at least it captures that. It captures the, it's not like a step function from not knowing to knowing. It's like, no, this is a, analog continuum of deeper and deeper levels of knowing. And, and, and in particular, one of the things that I, and I, I don't know if this was latent in your question now, but it triggered something in me, is that like uh -huh. my friends in the extreme charismatic side, they are not passive in any sense of the word, right? They're right. all, you know, praying over people and doing evangelism and trying to claim the seven mountains and things like that. Um, uh -huh. But the thing that, um, jars on me is yeah. when I feel like this relational intimacy on the one hand is then replaced by a very sort of rigid works-based performance uh, afterwards uh, in certain contexts. Certain contexts, they're very organic and like a lot of the work they do on inner healing and worship is like yeah. very organic. But then some of their like politics, for example, ends up being very much uh, at least to me, feels very non-organic. Now, again, that's my jaundiced view with the things of God that I know and understand. Maybe for a lot of them, it actually is continuous, just in not a way I can see it. But the idea that it's this, it's not about like, okay, first I have to connect with God, and then I care about the things he's doing. It's more that, like, because like, this is my failure mode and perhaps yours, right? It's like, oh yeah, God wants me to do, with my wife and with God. Oh my gosh, why do we do this? So I will then detach emotionally and go into task mode and just do the thing that they want me to do without mm -hmm. carrying that intimacy and love and connection and emotional presence because that is how the law works, right? The law works by slicing things up and compartmentalizing so we can get more things done. Mm -hmm. And there's value in that, but that is not intimate, productive relationships. Right. Uh, in in Paul's uh, own experience, the two were together from the beginning. Um, Jesus says, "I will, you know, show you how much you must suffer um, in pursuit Ooh. of my purpose." Ooh. In fact, that that Ooh. reference to suffering comes in right there at the beginning, doesn't it? That's yeah, and, and, and I wonder. Uh, it's like, uh -huh. huh, that's interesting. It's almost like between intimacy and productivity, there's suffering, which going with the childbirth metaphor is absolutely yeah. the case. 
Yeah. And yeah. secondly, it's like, oh, maybe that's where our cross fits into this. Uh-huh. Because it is, in some ways, easy to deny yourself by losing yourself in, you know, in love, right? Right. You know, the people talk about that all the time, that emotional, ecstatic you know, union high of just self-forgetfulness, a uh, very much uh-huh. Eastern thing. Um, and maybe that's why there is this, this is a fascinating perspective, I don't know if, it, if, if the metaphor is robust, that we lose ourselves in love, but then we have to take up a cross, go through the suffering part, so uh-huh. that we can be productive in following him. Okay. So there's there's a level of uh, you know or there I don't know I I imagine uh, and maybe this is a view at a distance from people I just don't know well that there are people who are just seeking the benefits of knowing Jesus without embracing the purpose or accepting the suffering that leads to the fulfillment of the purpose. Right. And I think the, the, the issue is that there is this tension, right? Because actually, if you just work or just feel life is simple, if you have to work and feel at the same time, it hurts more. Did I lose you or is that some weird artifact?